opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you are calling in from, from wherever you're joining us from. I am Maria Kristic, and I am chair of the International Relations Committee of the American Council of the Blind. And we're so pleased that so many of you are joining us live either via Zoom or on ACB Media 5. And of course, uh, this meeting is being uh, recorded as well. Uh, and so uh, hello to those of you who will be listening in after as well via the recording. So we, the uh, International Relations Committee, along with the Braille Revival League, we are so pleased uh, to be facilitating this conversation with such uh, an exceptional group of panelists to tell us about Braille around the world. And I think that you will learn some new things and come away with a, a newfound uh, appreciation of this uh such important literacy tool for those of us who are blind. So uh, let me just briefly tell you who are our uh, panelists and they will be introducing uh, themselves more fully as well. Um, but we have from the uh, from India, uh, Mr. J.L. Gall, who could not join us live, unfortunately, but he has provided uh, text responses to the uh, topics that will be guiding our conversation. And so I will be reading those out when the time comes uh, for uh, his insights to be shared from India. Uh, we have also from uh, South Africa, we have uh, Mr. Christo de Klerk here from uh, the Braillist Foundation in UK, uh, Mr. Matthew Horsfall, uh, Ms. Mary Schnackenberg from New Zealand, uh, and Ms. Uh, Sarah Marquez from the uh, World Blind Union's Latin American region. Um, so before I turn this over to our vice chair of the International Relations Committee, Meryl Schechter, to facilitate our conversation, first I'll turn it over to uh, Paul Edwards, who's the president of our uh, co-sponsor, the Braille Revival League, for any welcoming uh, remarks that you'd like to make. Paul. Thank you very much, Maria, and, and uh, welcome to everybody who's tuned in today. Braille obviously is a global topic. Uh, it probably is the single uh, most important component of a blind person's ability to be fully included and to be employable in, in, in a society, no matter where one is in the world. So it is with great pleasure that the Braille Revival League joins with uh, the International Relations Committee uh, to create some understanding in this country of how different Braille is in different parts of the world and what some of the different components of uh, Braille production are and some of the problems that operate in terms of Braille production uh, for developing countries. So I am not going to take away from the opportunity that we're going to have to hear from people all over the world. Let me just say that this is another indication of how important six little dots can be in bringing the world closer together. 
Thank you so much, Maria. All right. Thank you, Paul. So with that, I will turn it over to Meryl to get us started. Can you hear me? Yes. Thank you so much, um, Maria and Paul. Um, I would like, if you're prepared, Maria, I would like you to um, get the first response from J.L. Cole uh, about basically him introducing himself and anything he talked about with with Braille or uh, learning Braille or using it or anything like that. Sure, yes. And um, he also did uh, provide us some information about his organization as well. So here is Mr. Cole's response. So he says, my name is J.L. Cole and I am the founder, secretary general of All India Confederation of the Blind, registered in Hyderabad, Telangana State, having its administrative office in Delhi. The organization was set up in a small room in 1980. We have named our organization as Braille Bhavan, which is located in Northwest District of Delhi and has 50 rooms now. Our organization is the recipient of the best NGO award in the disability category. And this award was received by us from the president of India in 2006. We have also received the best Braille press printing award in India in 2009 and 2012 meaning twice. Uh, Each time a cash award of one lakh rupees was also received in addition to a citation. And before I continue a brief note from uh, from me, from Maria, for those not familiar with the Indian numbering system, a lakh is 100,000. So they received a cash prize of 100,000 Indian rupees. So Mr. Call continues, we run a variety of programs for blind men, women and blind men, women and children in the country. We have also been conducting community based rehabilitation programs since 1996 to 1997 and up to now. Uh, 15 districts have been covered. Uh, I learned Braille in my childhood studying at Institution for the Blind, Amritsar Punjab. From the very beginning, it was my desire to produce Braille literature so that visually impaired readers could be benefited. It was in April 1997 when the Norwegian Association of the Blind and Partially Sighted accepted our project for setting up Braille printing press and decided to donate one Braille 400 to our organization. They also provided funding for recruiting expenses for a period of three years, which they reduced year after year. After three years, our Braille printing press was self-supporting. And that concludes uh, Mr. Gall's response to that question. So, Meryl, back to you. Uh, Sure. Thank you, Maria. Um, Now, um, Mr. Christo de Klerk, Executive Committee uh, member, uh, South African um, uh, Braille Authority. Um, Mr. de Klerk, uh, first of all, I would like you to t- tell us a little bit about yourself and um, basically how you use Braille and when you learn Braille. Good evening, everybody. It is good to be here with you. I was born blind. I learned Braille at the School for the Blind in Worcester, now known as the Pioneer School very long ago in the early medieval times. Uh, 
Um, I obtained a, a law degree. I practiced law until I developed a conscience. And then I went into IT and I, I worked as an IT specialist eventually until my retirement. In the meantime, I started working as a volunteer for an organization now known as Blind SA. At the time, it was known as the South African uh, Blind Workers Organization. Now, Blind SA is an org a national organization um, of blind people, empowering the blind in many different ways. But it has uh, a Braille printing house known as Braille Services, which is now the largest braille producer in South Africa. It was started in 1953 by Ernest and Monica Kruger in the kitchen of their house, transcribing books for students with a Stainsby Brailler. Now we have the latest technology. We have already produced up to 4 million pages during a year. Um, so, I am currently the vice president of, of Blind SA. Uh, we do a lot of advocacy work um, as well as the Braille work. We are at the moment litigating against our government to get them to uh, give copyright exemptions to blind persons because the current Copyright Act of 1978 um, does not have provisions for the copyright exemption. So uh, we have already obtained a court order on the 21st of September last year declaring that act unconstitutional. That has to be ratified by the Constitutional Court and our application for that is happening on the 12th of May. So because I'm a blind person throughout my life, I have always uh, used Braille and I've also been teaching Braille um, I um, am presenting a Braille course on behalf of um, the Blind SA, which is an accredited training course. Um, I am, I've also uh, done the course myself and am accredited to do it. Um, yeah, I think that that is it for now. Uh, that's how I... I use Braille and uh, what I do with it. Oh, thank you so much. Very interesting. Um, let's see. We don't have uh, some of the panelists yet. Uh, oh, well, Matthew, okay. Mr. Um, Matthew Horsfall uh, from the Braillist Foundation in the UK. Can you also... Um, go into a little detail about what I uh, just went through with the other speakers. Indeed. Uh, thank you very much, Meryl and Maria and Paul and, and everybody. It's wonderful to be here. Um, it's wonderful to be streamed on ACB Media. I did a little bit of work with ACB Radio back in uh, 2007, 2008. Uh, so <laughs> it's it's good to be back uh, in front of the ACB audience. Um, my name is Matthew Horspool. I am currently the general manager of the Braillists Foundation. I'll be general manager until we run out of money, which will be uh, about next April, I think. Uh, our uh, our grant funding is, is due to run out. I mean, maybe we'll get some more by then and they'll be able to keep me on. Um, but, it, you know, if not, I'll carry on as a volunteer. Um, the Braillists 
actually started in 2014 uh, out of Bristol, which is in the southwest of England. Um, and we were doing quite a lot of consultancy work at the time. Uh, we, we were providing, we were a focus group for a little company out in Bristol called Bristol Braille Technology, and they make the Canute multi-line Braille e-reader. So we started off as a focus group for them, and then we realised that actually there was quite a lot of interest in Braille in the UK, um, but nowhere really where that was centralised, if you like. Um, so, you know, there were lots of people disparately around the country that wanted to talk about Braille, but didn't know who else wanted to talk about Braille. And so it never really happened. So we set up some events in Bristol and in Reading, and we were about to make that a bit broader. And then the pandemic happened and we went online. And actually a lot of the activity that we now do around teaching Braille remotely and uh, offering Braille masterclasses and Braille book clubs and all of that sort of thing, all of that really grew out of the coronavirus pandemic and uh, is really going uh, very, very well. And of course, that was in 2020. We've been a registered charity since just before the pandemic. I think we registered in January 2020. Um, in my personal life, outside the Braillists, I'm actually the Braille subject lead for the UK Association for Accessible Formats, which is the uh, overarching body that runs our Braille Authority. So I'm not quite the Braille Authority Chair, but Braille Authority Chair is probably a term that internationally would be recognised. It's it's the closest international kind of um, term that I can give you, uh, although it's, it's not quite right. There's a few nuances in there. I work for an organisation called Torch Trust, which produces uh, Braille and large print and audio uh, Christian material. And we'll talk a bit about that later on in terms of production processes and that sort of thing. And uh, I've been using Braille in my personal life since I was born. I've been born blind. I learnt Braille when I was two. Um, I predominantly use it around the house for labelling. And I also use it a great deal in the cathedral. I sing in the choir at Coventry Cathedral. And so to be able to have Braille uh, notes and things like that, you know, Braille music, Braille words... Uh, it's, it's just absolutely invaluable. And I haven't used it uh, so much recently to do presentations because they've all been on Zoom and, and I've just been able to sort of wing it. But if I was doing a presentation in in face-to-face, -face, you know, in public and I needed to bring notes with me, absolutely those notes for presentations would be in Braille as well. So uh, that's all I've got to say for now, but I look forward to saying a bit more as we go through the afternoon. Thank you so much, Matthew. Um, now we are going to go to... Uh, Mr. Christo de Klerk oh. again. Oh, uh, hang, oh, hang on. Sure. Um, so, sorry, Meryl, just to jump in. Um, first, just from an editorial note, I'm not sure who, if it's you or any of our panelists, but I'm hearing some Zoom alerts come through from JAWS of when people have joined or left. So if everyone, if your alerts are not, um, if you think they might be on, if you could, I believe it's Alt-Windows S, I believe it is, to toggle those off. Um, that would, uh, you know, be helpful. The other thing I do believe, I'm, I'm um, speaking with, um, I'm communicating with uh, our, our panelist from New Zealand, so I hope she will be able to join. She's having some technical uh, difficulties, but I believe that we might have uh, Sarah. I believe if you are here, Sarah Mar Marquez. Oh, from, okay, Sarah. Um, um, yes, let me check. Just, just joined us. An oh, that's great. Yeah, let me. Um, uh, one okay, second. So let me see. Mr. If, uh, de Klerk, um, can you uh, talk a little bit? We'll talk about Braille production and how Braille is produced in your country and your region. And what are the strengths and weaknesses of your system? 
We have an interesting situation in South Africa in that we have 11 official languages. So we have... Hello? Oh. Y- yes, we can hear. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes, oh, Chris, so, yeah, we can hear you. And um, and then we're going to go, because Sarah has re- joined, she's confirmed. So we'll have, um, actually, can we, I'm sorry, Chris, so just before we shift to you, because Sarah has confirmed that she's here, um, yeah. would you just mind uh, if you uh, hang for one second and we'll just let Sarah, if she's able sure. to give an intro, and sure. then we will continue. Sure. Okay, thank you. And thank you, um, Christo, Apollo. The, the technology is great when it works. Um, so, uh, yes, Sarah, I do see you here in the chat. Are you able to um, unmute to speak with us? Uh, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay, thank you. It's a pleasure being here. So am I supposed to answer about my organization and about my personal use of Braille, right? Yes, yes that would be great. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Uh, thank you. I am here representing OLAC, Latin American Union for the Blind. Um, it This organization works in Latin America advocating from, for the rights of blind and low vision people. It's an NGO and nonprofit organization. And uh, it represents blind and low vision people and its uh, organizations, local organizations. So we, we are uh, representing 19 countries. That's the 19 countries of Latin America. We have been working for decades. Uh, ULAC was founded in 1985. So we have 36 years. And we've been working, um, talking specifically about Braille. We have been advocating for promoting and empower its, um, the access and everything that respects to Braille and lecture, uh, uh, sorry, reading, writing, and literacy in Braille, close to some organizations as the um, Amer- uh, Organization of American States, and United Nations, we participate for uh, of um, all the the councils and councils and commissions in American as the Ibero American Council and uh, American Commission for for Braille, and we always um, participate of. Um, all the events and, and the advocation about this uh, this topic. And we worked actively at the creation and achievement of Marrakech Treaty. So our 18 from our 19 countries have ratified it on its and incorporated it in its internal laws, excepting only Cuba. So we were the region or one of the most region in the world that fastly has um uh incorporated marrakech treaty in our in our countries uh and it also helps to empower uh braille system so black also takes care of some specific thematics as education culture deports sports rehabilitation etc and youth I myself am the secretary of Yof, 
our president Matias Ferreira asked me to to be here representing the organization. So I personally uh, am 30 years old right now. And, and my personal story with Braille is I was literate with five years old in Braille. And it was in the beginning of, no, in the middle of 90s. It was in a time when technology were, was becoming more popular. And uh, I had access to Braille and to computer at the time. And Braille and computer has never been, have never been concurrent to myself. I mean, I always use them both. And at the, the first age, after when high school, college, I studied, I am graduated in IT, uh, information technology and law. Uh, I work with IT, so I use computer every day, every time, every, every for everything. But I also use Braille for lots of things. I, for example, I have a uh, braille display braille display now that I'm using to to take notes to to have guidelines here. I've got to buy it uh, with my own resources. Um, I use it with uh, I use braille in my daily life for taking notes. Um, to also, our colleague told about. Uh, participating on the on the cathedral, I also sing uh, at the church, so I use Braille for for helping me in this. As I'm a translator, so I use Braille to translate text for in my work in my jobs, and uh, for theater when I participate, for studying some things on on college, on my work, etc. So in music, I use it and to read of course for literature so i also love braille and i also i always um complement braille in technology and use it um due to my in favor of what at whatever i need so that's all for now thank you so <laughs> much uh sarah and i see that mary schnackenberg has joined the meeting she's the secretary of the braille authority of new zealand and Mary, um, welcome. And <clears throat> I'd like you to please give a little background about yourself, about the organization, and also about when you learn Braille and how you use it. So thank you, Mary. I'm just checking. Um, Mary might be muted. Mm -hmm. I have, oh. okay, I've sent you, I, I believe I have unmuted you. Uh, very good. Can you hear me now? Yes, we yes. can. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Um, we just had a bit of a technical adventure here, but we are, are back to normal. Um, thank you very much for the invitation to join you. And um, I'm, I'm a life uh, lifetime Braille user. Um the uh, technical issues were only relating to Zoom, not Braille, fortunately. Um, and and just before we, we get into this, I really want to thank ACB for something quite different. Uh, you have been very strong internationally 
annual support of audio description. And um, over, over the years, uh, colleagues of mine have received awards from you, for which we're really grateful. New Zealand um, has got into audio description about a decade ago. We're some years behind you. <laughs> but um, uh, we're doing visiting events, um, audio described events all over the country and uh, it's going very well uh, on television. So we're very lucky. Um, I worked for the Foundation of the Blind in New Zealand for 35 years, and I was managing Braille and talking book production in the library service. And since, since I left the Foundation, I set up a small business with my partner, Clive Lansing, who, um, came and sorted me out a few minutes ago. He's gone back to bed uh, now. So our company um, produces Braille and audio documents for a fee amongst a whole lot of other things that we do. Um, yes, I'm the Secretary Treasurer of the Braille Authority of New Zealand. Um, and um, I'm on the Executive Committee of the International Council on English Braille. And I'm the editor of the East Wind newsletter, which is the newsletter that is, belongs to the World Blind Union Asia Pacific region. And you've asked me, you've asked me to talk about um, uh, Braille, not just in Australia and New Zealand, but if I can, to look across the, the Asia Pacific region as well. And what makes us a bit different down here is the number of languages um, that are that are spoken and read in our region. And I truthfully can't actually tell you how many there are. Um, it's in the hundreds, if not pushing the thousands. Um, and so the key language, the biggest language um, in our region is actually Mandarin. The most common language, second language spoken, fortunately, is English. And the other thing that's quite unique about our region is that it actually ranges through all the kinds of economic situations from pretty much poverty stricken, right through to developed countries like Australia and New Zealand. The other day, I um, was editing a news item for the newsletter for ICEB. And it was one of the um, African organizations of deaf blind people are running a conference. And they're running the conference under what they call the SDGs. And it's very common to use abbreviations that the assumption is everybody knows what they are. If you know what SDG stands for, you're doing very well. They're the sustainable development goals developed by the United Nations and therefore developing countries. And, um, and that's, uh, uh, unfortunately, that's an abbreviation we know quite a lot about in our region. So the Braille authorities uh, in our area must think not just about English Braille, but about Braille for so many different language groups. In New Zealand, our indigenous people are the Māori people and um, our Māori 
language is brailled in grade one, uncontracted braille, with the exception of the WH symbol, the WH symbol which we use, and that is used to represent the F sound. So, um, and we and we also use the American long vowel braille symbol for the macron. That's a single cell symbol rather than the two cell UEB symbol. So um, in New Zealand and Australia and gradually around the region, um, it's unified English braille. That was adopted in New Zealand and Australia in 2005. So braille is taught to children right across the region by teachers who have some knowledge of the code. And in Australia and New Zealand, the teachers teaching Braille um, have to have some qualifications um, for, for, doing, for, for being able to teach Braille. But, um, but that varies greatly throughout the region. Thinking about adults, Yes, in New Zealand and Australia, absolutely there are qualifications um, that teachers must have. And there are a number of uh, blindness agencies. There's the primary one in New Zealand, the Royal New Zealand Foundation of the Blind. Um, but um, there are, um, and, and also in Australia, there are several blindness agencies. But if you think about a small country uh, such as Samoa in the South Pacific, um, there's American Samoa, by the way, which is a protectorate of the United States. And then next door, there's Samoa, which used to be net known as Western Samoa, but it's just Samoa now. Um, and that's an independent uh, nation in the, in the South Pacific. And used to be a New Zealand colony um, until it became independent in the early 1960s. So thinking about Samoa, um, for adults, um, Braille is taught by other blind adults who've learned it. Um, there isn't a blindness agency that is um, supporting blind people in, in Samoa. So it's the blind consumer group that's got busy and is teaching Braille to uh, adults who wish to learn it. So um, teachers from Australia and New Zealand visit a number of the South Pacific Islands and also Papua New Guinea. Um, the, the number of languages Never mind the code Braille. The number of languages vary hugely from country to country. When I first started reading about Papua New Guinea at around about 1970, at that stage they were supposed to have something like 1,500 languages. I think that I think they're down to about four or five hundred now. Um, thinking about a different country now, the Thailand Association of the blind, the Thailand Association of the Blind, another of the consumer groups, it also runs services and it has an annual forum for braille users and they invite people to attend from neighboring countries in Southeast Asia, such as Vietnam, Myanmar, Cambodia, Indonesia, and more. You asked about how braille is produced 
and basically it's the whole range that you know about. Well, um, Mary, I'm All sorry right. to cut you off. Just um, we're, we're how we're doing it is we're um, kind of asking the panelists of, you know, the questions and then kind of going back and forth fourth instead of just all at once no 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 you're fine and i just want to because we had um asked uh before uh we had a couple of people uh having technical difficulties and so we had started to ask this question of someone else uh before you were able to join so if you don't mind i just want to give um him an opportunity to uh answer and then we can you know come back to you and have meryl continue the going around thank you so much all right so um i believe uh uh, so, Meryl, you should be unmuted now again. And I believe, uh, Christo, we had uh, asked you if you're able to come back in and unmute now and tell us about in South Africa, the, the Braille production and its strengths and weaknesses. Fine. Um, in South Africa, we have 11 official languages. So we have different grade two codes for all our languages. Um, our English code is UEB. We adopted UEB in 2004 and started rolling it out in 2007. In the meantime, we started adapting the codes of our other language according to the principles of the UEB. And uh, that was completed a long time ago. So the grade one codes of all our languages are exactly the same. And then each language, of course, has its own grade two system. But the rules are um, according to the principles of the UEB. We have, for the 11 languages, we have eight codes because some of the languages are mutually intelligible. So they use the same code. For example, um, Isizulu and Isikosa use one and the same code. And then Setswana, Sisutu, and Sepedi uh, use the same code. Then there are individual codes for Afrikaans, which is my home language, and for Chivenda, Chitsonga, Sindebele, and Siswati. Um, now, that, of course, uh, complicates how Braille is produced. Fortunately, we have Braille translation tables for all our languages in in Tuxbury. We have three major Braille producing houses in South Africa. They all use Duxbury. Um, Blind SA, the organization that that I represent, um, is the largest and we are the only one that produces Braille in all 11 official languages. Um, The Braille we produce, um, and the other houses more or less use the same methods. Uh, The first price, of course, is if we get the document electronically, it doesn't have to be typed, and there's not much editing to do. Um, Otherwise, it's either scanned and edited, or it is typed in. Then, once it is captured, that the document is is printed and given to proofreading teams. We work with proofreading teams of of two persons, a sighted and a blind person, and and one reads and the other checks. Uh, We normally give our uh, more important materials, such as educational material and and things that are not 
not not disposable, we give two proofs. Um, we have um, real heavy duty embossing equipment. We have that uh, machine. Uh, what's the Interpoint 55 from from Belgium, which is a high speed. Uh, embosser, which uh, uses a roll of, of uh, braille paper that weighs about a ton. Um, <clears throat> the other two production houses, the Pioneer Printers, is the one at the old school that I attended. Uh, they produce in Afrikaans and English, and um, they use the same method of producing. Um, they have an agreement with a local Western Cape Department of Education, so they do a lot of educational material. The third production house is the SA Library for the Blind. Um, they use volunteers um, to do that, the capture of the books, and they also use Darksbury to produce, but they produce um, for internal use only, they produce Braille books, which are then sent on loan to their members. Um, yeah, I think that covers the question. Okay, um, Meryl, are you unmute? Yes, I'm oh, here. Okay go, um, okay, go ahead. Okay, and uh, Sarah, can you talk to us about Braille production in your country and uh, region and the weaknesses and strengths as well? Right, I believe. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Okay, great. Um, so it's it's difficult to talk about Latin America in general because we're talking about 19 countries, lots of differences, um, inequalities, social differences, etc. But I'll try to to make a general highlight here. Um, in general, the resources, the access for production are very, very scarce in Latin America. I think I forgot to mention that I'm talking from Brazil. And, and historically, the production was very, very low in our countries. We have some rail press in some countries, in some big cities. For example, here in Brazil, I, I know that we have two press one in Sao Paulo and one in Rio. Argentina has one, uh, Mexico, um, uh, Argentina, Brazil, Mexico, Colombia, and Uruguay was like are the countries that most produce rail material. And even so it's a low production. And um, mainly people, children, young and older blind uh, people, have to produce their our their own material in a handmade process with the help of teachers, of parents, of institutions, because the books uh, doesn't arrive uh, there. So, and uh, in the last decades, governments of some countries stopped buying books. Um, 
from the private presses. So we had no, some NGO or some foundations that produce it uh, with very expensive uh, devices like the, the big printer, the, in, the industrial printers, equipment, devices. And we need governments to, to help uh, products, producing it because privately it breaks because they are expensive and we need like um, we need public policies. So um, I think we can mention strengths that are exactly the same braille presses that are located in some countries. So if you have if we have investments and public policies, we can make these presses work more and increase and attend the countries and attend people and attend schools attend every, and, and assist everybody. So we can use this, this, this structure we have and increase it. And another, another strength is uh, the CRPD that our most of our countries has ratified and crpd uh incentivates and empowers braille uh, policies uh well we need to incorporate it in a practical way but that's another story but that's another strength that we can in, uh, enjoy and empower and the weakness are the same lack of presses and printers so we can we needed to have more um more more centers of production we need more devices we need more investments so the the weakness as are this lack of devices the lack of public policies and governmental governmental investments um and uh, also, I think the high cost cost of devices because we have to import them, import industrial printers, import basic printers, import braille displays, import everything. And many countries don't even have the way to do this. They don't have enterprise, they don't have uh, intermediate um, players that can import this product. So we don't have access. And when we have, they're very, very expensive because of import, uh, importing and because of taxes. So these are the taxes of, uh, these are the, this, the, the weaknesses um, that are inherent to um, countries in development. We need to improve this, this system of, of production uh, so that everybody can access Brio. Thank you. Thank you so much. Very interesting. Uh, Matthew, can you elaborate on this question, please? Indeed, by all means. Um, sorry, um, moving the microphone about. Um, yeah, it's been really interesting to hear what everybody else has said. Um, England, by comparison, is surprisingly straightforward. Um, <laughs> we only have uh, one language, which is English. Uh, I suppose technically, actually, the UK has Welsh. Um, I don't think there's a huge amount of Welsh braille production that that goes on. I mean, presumably there is some, but I don't know very much about it. 
and it's not something that gets talked about very often. I think if you're in Wales, you hear about it, and if you're outside Wales, then you don't. Um, we have hmm, we have one major Braille producer, which is RNIB, which was the Royal National Institute for the Blind for a long time, and then it became the Royal National Institute of the Blind, and then it became the Royal National Institute of Blind People, which is where we are now. Um, which is a bit of a misnomer, really, because it's not really the Institute of the Blind, because it's still ran largely by sighted people. But that's fine. Um, it, it does its job. Uh, it produces Braille. It also runs the Braille Library uh, in the UK, which is now a print-on-demand service and a single-use service. So Braille books in the library come out looking a bit like magazines, you know, stapled, Um and fully recyclable and you don't have to send them back and there are many pros and cons to that um <laughs> the pros of course uh, means that you get a fresh book every time so you're not dealing with flat dots uh the cons uh, reading braille that's bound like that is not a huge amount of fun uh, but books that you buy are still uh produced you know properly if you like um they are produced rnib anyway largely through Duxbury, uh, as was already talked about, you know, you, you either type it in or you scan it in, or you can get an electronic copy of the book from the publisher and, and transcribe it that way. Um, embossed at RNIB on Braylos and then wire bound um, and then sent through the post. There are some smaller production houses, um, for example, the Scottish Braille Press. I'm not entirely sure how the Scottish Braille Press operates nowadays. Um, I think it's also using Duxbury, but. Um, what embossing equipment and things it's using i'm not sure and then there is torch trust where i work uh torch trust produces exclusively christian content we are using yes an nv into point 55 uh, embosser and we tend to bind using plastic binders uh or with staples and our system is quite interesting because we get very high quality uh files from the publishers, because we're working with a very small subset of publishers and we've been able to develop very close relationships with those publishers. So we get extremely good quality files and we take great care when we uh, input those files. So, we, you know, we, we proofread the, the input file very, very carefully and make sure it's styled up impeccably. Uh, and then we actually run it through a fully automated system using Liblui and a braille file comes out the other end and there's actually very minimal proofreading of the braille because we're confident in the quality of the input file occasionally mistakes slip through the net of course if you're not going to proofread your braille you know eventually something goes a bit wrong and and so you end up with uh, minor revisions to the transcription having to be made and you have you know a second edition braille version uh, that gets put out but actually it happens surprisingly rarely uh, most of the time, you get pretty good Braille out of that system. Thank you so much, Matthew. Um, Mary, uh, would you like to elaborate on this? Um, we in New Zealand and Australia primarily use um, Duxbury. And um, Duxbury, is, um, Duxbury Braille Translator is also available um, in other parts of the region where funding has be, been made available for people to, um, for organisations to buy um, embosses and, um, and, and the translation software. The problem beyond New Zealand and Australia is very much around training people to use 
no matter what translator, no matter what input software you use, um, the, the real weakness is around the training um, of, of the people who are involved in production. Um, nonetheless, I'm actually quite surprised thinking about it that there is a whole range of effort going on in the 21 countries in the Asia-Pacific region of the World Blind Union. It varies hugely depending upon all the financial issues that um, Sarah has mentioned about Latin America. But nonetheless, we had that huge range of input devices from the, the, the slate and stylus that you'll be very familiar with right through the Perkins and various other um, um, different kinds of machines that you can get all the way through to the range of um, translators. I mentioned earlier um, Māori, there is in, in New Zealand, there is um, uh, Te Reo Māori, which is an official language in New Zealand. There are actually three official languages in New Zealand, English, Te Reo Māori and New Zealand Sign Language. Um, and Te Reo Māori is translated or is produced in Braille primarily in grade one with the exception of the WH sign, uh, which is for the, um, the F sound. And we also use the uh, American long vowel symbol dots four, five, six for the macron, which saves us using the two cell macron, um, which is available from UEB. Um, if you, you can actually read more about this, if you would like to, um, there's an article, really good article by Ben Clare from Australia, which is in the um, ICEB newsletter number 10, March 2021. And um, some links, I think, have been sent out to you, um, which you might want to follow up in order to gain access to the International Council on English Braille that puts out a newsletter. It has a website and the links, I think, have gone out to you. Um, so, Unified English Braille was adopted in New Zealand and Australia in 2005, and it's gradually moving across the region. Um, so, that pretty much covers off question two for me. Thank you so much. You know, this is fascinating, Mary, because I was a language major in French and Spanish in college, so I loved languages, and I got my master's in Spanish. And how do you spell the name of that language, Tutu Maori? Maori, capital M-A-O-R-I, Maori. Oh, fascinating. And the A has that macron over the okay. top of the A, M okay. M A. O-R-I. Oh, that's fantastic. And we also have, as a matter of fact, you know, the International Council of English Braille has been mentioned so many times, and we have the current president, Miss Judy Dixon, on, on this call as well. Um, now, um, turning to... 
Uh, Meryl, this is yeah. Maria. I just want to give Mr. Cole's input on sure. this from India. Sure. And um, sure. before I do that, let me, uh, in terms of the links that Mary referenced, I will be sending those out uh, after this uh, presentation to the same places where the information was sent out about uh, this call. Uh, I was going to do that in case any other links were shared uh, during the call. And I actually may uh, have one in, in Mr. Uh, Cole's response here. So I will be sending that. So um, uh, regarding production, he says, uh, Braille, then this is from India again, Braille in our country is produced by uh, Braille. Brailo 400, Brailo 600, or IP55. First two machines are from Norway, while the latter one is from Belgium, uh, as, as someone has already mentioned here, um, the, the IP55. Um, the main defect in all of these machines is that sometimes we get less number of dots in one alphabet, or sometimes we get more. This causes too much difficulty, especially ours is a country where a lot of dust exists, which destroys the setup of the machine. Earlier, our country used to have aluminum plate braille press system, which was quite accurate. Some organizations also have index braille producing machines, but the majority of these machines are lying idle as these are not functioning properly or there is very expensive maintenance of these machines. Even in Braille 400 and IP55, high-speed braille embossers, maintenance cost is too much. Sometimes it becomes unaffordable. And with regards uh, to the braille codes, he says, as regards Braille script for other languages, we have different dots for alphabets of different languages like Punjabi, Tamil, uh, Malayalam, Kannada, Telugu, Marathi, Gujarati, etc. When I was chair of World Braille Council, uh, that time the third edition of World Braille Usage was brought out and the alphabets of all Braille scripts of India and elsewhere were put there. Uh, some states have prepared contracted Braille while others have not. It is further added that we use only six dots and not an eight dot system. And so I can uh, put the link to the World Braille Usage as well when I send that out. That's from the Perkins uh it's it's hosted there on the Perkins website and it is a downloadable PDF. And so that concludes back to you, Meryl. Thank you so much, Maria. Um, now we are going to turn to the distribution of Braille in your country or region. So uh, first I am going to ask Mary um, about that. So go ahead, Mary. Um, Braille distribution, we um, across the region hard copy Braille, there's some electronic Braille displays, um, particularly in New Zealand and Australia. Um, so, and there are of course a number of libraries. Um, some of the libraries are moving to Braille on demand and Matthew's described that um, previously. Um, so basically Braille on demand saves the, the cost of storage of Braille that may not be used all that often. And the cost of storage of Braille on library shelves, um, particularly in developed countries, is just um, becoming an incredibly exorbitant. So it's much easier for the libraries and blindness agencies uh, to shift to Braille on demand. It does mean that you do get your Braille, but uh, as Matthew has described, depending on how it's bound, it's not, not the happiest of reads. 
Um, the, the postal system is still um, the, the key means of getting material to people around the world. But postal systems are uh, becoming um, more and more difficult and, and in some areas slower and slower. Um, in, even in New Zealand, increasingly, we're shifting to a courier environment um, and our postal system as we knew it will probably have almost completely um, passed away by um, my 19, 20, 20, 25, 26, 27, round about that time frame. And if you want to move items even small items from one address to another, you'll be using some form of courier system. Um, New Zealand Post in particular, probably Australia Post, are of course developing their courier systems um, to manage that kind of transition. And then of course there's the internet, so um, files can be sent possibly by email, others um, larger ones can be downloaded, but mercifully braille files tend to be a lot smaller. So material can be emailed or that it can be downloaded from from websites. You've, you've been mentioning um, what braille embosses we use. Um, the index firm of braille embosses is more um, prevalent in New Zealand. So there are indexes and Everests and um, the uh, just the name of the larger machine um, absolutely escapes me. But basically there's um, a machine that will, um, that the index has got a very high-end, faster machine. Um, so um, that I think uh, covers off question three for me. Okay. Thank you so much. Uh, that was great, Mary. Um, okay, now I am going to turn to Maria to vary this a little bit um, to give uh, Mr. Cole's uh, response to All that. Right. Very good. All right. So Mr. Cole says, Braille books are distributed by our organization as well as by some other organizations too through post offices by registered post. Postal department has very kindly provided the service free of cost and we can send books to any state in the country. Our organization sends about 60 books to various schools and Braille libraries in the country free of cost each year. We also produce Braille periodicals and send these to our readers at a nominal cost. Uh, he says that Braille is used almost in all special schools and there are some Braille libraries which send Braille books to readers without any charge. Back to you, Meryl. Oh, thank you so much. Okay, uh, now I would like to ask... Uh, Christo, uh, for information about distribution. The main method of distribution in South Africa for hard copy Braille is, is the postal service. And many blind people uh, have arrangements with their local postal service, uh, like we have, that the material is delivered to my home and they also pick up things that, that need to be returned. Uh, postage, Braille postage is free in South Africa. Um, then Blind is a 
when when we produce braille material, it gets produced in a way that is also um, DAISY compliant. Um, so we would also um, upload material into Bookshare. We have an arrangement with Bookshare. We've got Blind SA Bookshare. Um, so um, all new material uh, produced by Braille Services of Blind SA gets inserted into Bookshare also. We are just beginning a process now of distributing electronic Braille to schools which have embossing facilities so that they can then emboss it themselves. Thank you so much. Uh, and I would like to turn it over, I mean, to ask Sarah about this question as well. So go ahead. Okay, thank you. Um, well, if the projection is scarce, so the distribution as well. We have some libraries in some countries, but they are located in some cities uh, specifically, so not everybody has access to them. And these libraries not always have their own uh, resource of impressions of printing. So they receive materials from um, like national foundations or national centers. Um, and some libraries from universities can print uh, braille materials for their students. For example, I know in Brazil we have some universities that do it, but uh, it's not that simple. And mostly public universities. The private ones, like they have almost nothing about accessibility and braille for, for students. And about schools, uh, for uh, we have, for example, in Argentina, we have, uh, in Brazil, we have uh, pre uh, presses that are, that, that belongs to the federal government uh, and they print to schools or to people, but uh, the, it's a very bureaucratic process. Um, for example, in Brazil, we have Foundation Dorina Noil for, for, for Blind People that produces Braille, audio, and digital books for the blind. And uh, you, can, you can ask them any book you want, but, well, theoretically, uh, that's not exactly like this because you can imagine um, uh, a single foundation to attend all Brazil all the country that's a continental country. And we have also a federal press that is belongs to Benjamin Constant Institute that is a special school for the blind, founded in the 19th century. And it works, but it has to attend on-demand schools for states and cities so they have their pre their press, they print didactical and literature books, books, but again, there's no way to attend everyone. There's no way to, to, to achieve every demands of the schools and of, and of uh, people. We also have organs called uh, pedagogical center support that attends the states of Brazil. I'm talking more about Brazil because 
because that's where I, I know more. Um, and in, in other countries, we have like similar, similar reality. And, and the centers, they, they, they send books for students of primary or high school uh, on, also on demand. But uh, again, sometimes these books get very late. So when the year is finishing, the student has receives his book, his new book, and like it's over. It, it delays a lot. Um, uh, okay, uh, the distribution via post office is for free with no cost, no charge. And um, uh, Benjamin Constant Institute with its Braille Press also distributes two magazines, periodical magazines, one for children and young and one for um, adults, but only in Brazil. They have no resources to, to distribute it outside and as they are a public uh, organ, so they distribute it here. About languages, we have mainly Portuguese in Brazil and Spanish in the other countries, and also the originary languages of native people, but the production of it is like also uh, almost uh, inexistent. Um, as I told, uh, we, we have a lack of uh, technical support for embossers. So sometimes we have embossers in schools and university who could, uh, that could produce his own material, but these devices are stopped uh, or they are break, broken and there's no way to fix it. Nobody to fix it or people don't know how to use it because to install and to use or to, to, to use the, the, the proper way. Uh, and we have in they they cost a lot. They are a lot, uh, very, very expensive. So what happens is that many people give up of Braille. They say, oh, well, we don't have access to Braille, so let's forget it. Let's let's use computer only. Let's uh, do whatever we can. Braille is very big, it's very expensive, uh, it's very difficult to get. So it makes people like forget Braille, Braille exists. That's really, really terrible reality. And we need to, to, to change this, this reality. It impacts on literacy. It impacts on a lot of abilities uh, people might have using Braille. Braille displays are very expensive too. Some schools have it, some libraries have it, but for people like buying it particularly, it's very complicated. I myself bought one. I, I paid in 36 installments because it's very expensive. We have a, like a system of credits via Bank of Brazil. But even so, we, have, we, can, have, we can pay for it in, very, in lots of installments, but it's still very expensive. And I wish that every, everybody could have one display Braille because it's very useful and also paper books. Um, also, um, some two more curiosities. Um, we have some difficulties to get good slate and stylus. I mean, uh, good quality ones. Sometimes we buy them, we buy them, and they are totally improper. That's a problem too. 
So the distribution of material for reading and writing still is in Slate and, and Perkins, like basic things for one to learn and to write Braille. So if you don't have a material, a proper material, uh, this person won't learn to write Braille and will be far too far from 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 Braille for forever. And um, here we have, for example, the packs of medicines and some packs of food of and cosmeticals has Braille on it. So that's a curiosity here in Brazil. Every pack of medicine you get, there is a, the name in Braille, and that's very useful, and we love it. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, and Matthew, can you elaborate uh, about Braille distribution in your country and region as well? Absolutely. Uh, thank you. Yeah, uh, it, it, we have the same actually as uh, Sarah was just saying in terms of medication packaging. It's a legal requirement actually for our medication packaging to have Braille on it, and it is indeed extremely, extremely useful. Um, thinking about conventional Braille distribution, it is predominantly still in hard copy in the UK, as I talked about earlier on through the RNIB library or the RNIB shop, um, and it's exclusively by post, um, or of course through you know, the Torch library and the Torch shop um, or the Scottish Braille Press. Uh, I think they have a shop, I don't think they have a library. I think the RNIB library used to uh, keep Scottish Braille Press titles, but of course with the RNIB library going print on demand, uh, they don't keep those anymore. Um, but yes, entirely through the post, uh, free post. We call it Articles for the Blind in the UK. I think you call it Free Matter for the Blind in the US, but it's the same principle. And it works very well for us. And the post office is very accommodating. Um, as Christo was saying, uh, books will be dropped off. And if books do need to be collected, uh, the Torch Library, for example, is not print on demand yet. So we do still store books. Um, and the post office will come and collect those books uh, from us uh, if we if we need them to so that's very good there is a certain amount of soft copy distribution going on um, largely through RNIB in two forms we have RNIB Bookshare uh, RNIB Bookshare is for u uh, educational use so schools and colleges and universities and RNIB Bookshare has a uh, we're encouraging publishers to upload their EPUB files directly to Bookshare. And then it's the, it's the Benetech platform. So the automatic Braille conversion that you know and love from Bookshare is happening with those EPUB files. There's very little human transcribed content on RNIB Bookshare. Um, you, can, you can just request a BRF file or indeed uh, as many educational establishments would do if they have a braille transcriber on site they would actually download the EPUB content and transcribe it themselves uh, just circling back on something that mary said very briefly um i neglected to mention the index embossers because they don't get used a great deal in big production like rnib and and so on but a lot of schools yes have index embossers particularly the index basic and the index everest the fanfold d and the Braille box are the other big ones, and they don't get used nearly as much as the Basic and the Everest, but the Basic and the Everest are fantastic. I've got a Basic here, actually, and um, a few people have embossers in their homes, and uh, it's the Basic or the Everest that they're likely to have. Um, 
RNIB reading services is the arm of RNIB where you can get soft copy Braille if you are a consumer, you know, if you're not in school or college or university. Uh, RNIB reading services is virtually exclusively human transcribed Braille. So it's the BRF files that previously produced the hard copy uh, uh, books. They've been remediated slightly to take out the page numbers and the running headers so that they work nicely on refreshable Braille displays. And then they're distributed via RNIB reading services. Um, RNIB was a great supporter of the Transforming Braille group, which supported the Orbit Reader. And we have a lot of Orbit Readers, which means that during the pandemic, we gave away a lot of Orbit Readers because the RNIB library was uh, not accessible. We couldn't get access to the building where the RNIB library was housed. And we've continued to do that um, you know, in various tranches throughout 2020, 2021 and into 2022. So there is a critical mass of Orbit readers in the UK, which means that a lot of the files that we're producing, um, not uh, (laughs) on paper, we're producing them for any Braille display. But when you actually look at it, we're producing them for the Orbit reader because that's the Braille display that a lot of people seem to have at the moment. Fascinating. Thank you, Matthew. And uh, Maria, can you give us Mr. Cole's response on the distribution? Yep. So I I have already um, read that. So why? Oh, I'm sorry. You're you're okay. There are a lot of panelists. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, Now, um, get going on to um, accommodations in Braille, such as signage. Um, Sarah, can you talk about uh, what? accommodations are pervasive such as braille signage or anything else that would make life easier for blind people like braille on elevators or buildings or all types of things like that okay Uh, Mm -hmm. um as i told you we have in brazil we have braille in medication packings some packings of food and uh, cosmeticals but about medication is law and about some foods and etc it depends on the on the on the enterprise on the on the marks elevators oh, mm-hmm. yeah uh, elevators in brazil we have some uh the law also uh says that public public buildings must have signage but not everyone still have it or private of collective use as uh, buildings of apartments, for example. Not all, not everyone are accessible, but we have some. We have uh, some. In the other countries of Latin America, it's still scarce. I mean, we have some things, but not much. And, and for boards and signage of uh, orientation things like that um very few places have it in latin america uh what about braille maps or um the metro subways you know things like that subway stations or some subway stations have braille maps and some agencies of bank in brazil um but only a few of them in another in other countries i can't mention 
specifically, but some some places have it, or some touristical places, some museums, some libraries, some places that are like has accessibility as a as a specific policy of, of it. But we are still uh, advocating for this to be implemented and be um, like to be everywhere. And are there, um, Sarah, are there any Braille accommodations that are not covered by the law? Um, if, the, you know, and if the, is there a movement to get them covered? Um, accommodations, um, what about specifically? Yeah, the, bra you know, what you were just talking about. Are there any Braille accommodations that are not covered by the law? Is there a movement to cover some that are not covered already? Well, I, I think that what we have is contemplated in CRPD. Okay. Uh, but uh, the problem is the public policies because uh, Latin American historically incorporates incorporates the human rights treaties, mm -hmm. but uh, in in its internal laws. But um, it goes to the law, but it doesn't go to public policies. So uh, we have we need to put it in practice. What is in previewed uh, in law. Uh, for example, Brazil has a law that says that everybody has the right to have an accessible book. This law is based on the convention on CRPD, and but you can't you can't just call an an book producer and say, uh, "Look, I want a braille book in my house. I will buy it." So uh, it doesn't happen. So we, we need policies and structures for this book these braille books or these digital books to arrive to people or this braille signage to to arrive to people. Um, so we need policies and, and strategies to put it in practice. Okay. And it mm -hmm. happens in Brazil and in all countries too. Thank you so much. That's so important, even yeah. for the U.S. as well. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay. And... Matthew, um, would you like to elaborate on what was just discussed and whether all the accommodations and explain what the accommodations are in the UK that are covered or not covered by the law and as far as signage or subways and medicines, you know. I'd love to. Just give me two seconds. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, we can tell your sound. No worries. And is um, there a movement to would, make it covered, you know, under the law also if it's not covered? Yes, I'm terribly sorry. Um, <laughs> just as the previous, just as Sarah was finishing, somebody came and knocked on the door. Oh, and so okay. I had to run down and explain <laughs> that I was in a call. I'm sorry no about problem. that. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Yes, in the UK. So <laughs> UK legislation is surprisingly weak, actually. We have something called the Equality Act, which came into force in... 2010 or 2011 it's the equality act 2010 but i can never remember whether that's the date that it was signed or the date that it came into force um prior to that we had the disability discrimination act and um, the the headline of the equality act is this thing called reasonable adjustments and you know places must make reasonable adjustments to accommodate people with disabilities and this is immensely frustrating because nobody can really define what's reasonable and what's not so actually legislatively it's it's very difficult to um 
take anybody to court about, you know, Braille or lack thereof. That said, it's generally quite well understood that Braille is needed. So actually, you don't find yourself needing to use the law in terms of Braille very often. Um, There are some really quite worrying things going on about voting and voting in secret at the moment, but that's a wider issue than just Braille, I think. That's just the general principle of um, blind people need to be able to vote in secret, and there are lots of blind people who won't read Braille uh, that will also be affected by that. Um, In terms of Braille specifically, quite a lot of public buildings have signage. Um, That signage is, I wouldn't want to say most of the time in Braille, but certainly I've been in enough buildings with Braille signs to be able to say it's fairly common. Uh, Braille signage in lifts, which you'd call elevators, um, yeah, that's fairly common as well. Um, or at the very least, raise numbers, but quite often Braille. Uh, Braille on trains. Uh, I've been doing a lot of train travel recently. Uh, very, very often the button to open the door on the train has got Braille on it and to close the door and to lock the toilet door and things. Um, so, yeah, um, there is a lot of Braille signage out there. And um, as I said earlier on, Braille on medication packaging and and that sort of thing. Yeah, it, it's all... Um, we, we, we do have it, even though we don't have the legislative framework to really... Uh, enforce it, which is really rather good. Uh, thank you. And also, Matthew, what about Braille on um, ATMs, you know, for banks, uh, automated teller machines? Uh, we have it. It's of limited use. So um, the, the keypad doesn't have Braille on it. Sometimes the slot where you put your card in has it. Um, sometimes the slot where the cash comes out has it. But um, unless you're using a talking cash machine which they do exist over here but you have to know which ones talk you know not all of them do and you have to carry a pair of headphones and with all of us moving towards wireless headphones um, the number of times when I've approached a cash machine and realized I can't use it independently but because I haven't got headphones and so inevitably I'm asking a sighted person to help me use the cash machine anyway in which case they can tell me where the cash comes out so I, I, it, it is on certain machines, but not on all of them, and I rarely use it. Oh, okay. Thank you so much. Um, <clears throat> Maria, can you read Mr. Cole's response on that? Sure. So he... Oh, sorry. I, I got okay. shifted as well inadvertently. <laughs> okay. Um, so he says, as far as to cover Braille by law, it is stated that we can approach any high court or even the Supreme Court of India demanding textbooks in Braille at the school level. The Rights of Persons with Disability Act 2016 has made a special mention in Article 42.1 that reading material needs to be made available in accessible format, which also means braille and that concludes uh his remarks on that okay thank you so much and um mary uh what is your take on the signage and the accommodations everything that we've addressed um and the law whether all them are covered by the law if there's a movement for what is not covered to be covered Um, Thinking particularly about New Zealand and Australia, um, Braille signage in public buildings is mandated in the building codes of both countries. Um, The implementation's a bit hit and miss, but you'll find Braille on most lifts, elevators, um, sometimes 
and 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 usually if you're looking for it you'll find some error or other um, there isn't a reliable um, monitoring of the quality of the implementation so just because there's braille there doesn't mean it won't be upside down or possibly even wrong numbers um, the um, um, medicines labeling on medicine packages is no way near as common in New Zealand and Australia as it is in, in the EU. In fact, I think, I'm not certain about this, but I have an idea that the British um, environment for labelling on packages is actually European Union um, um, mandating. And occasionally packages um, do turn up in New Zealand and Australia. They're um, more the over-the-counter medicines rather than prescription medicines, over-the-counter medicines that are imported and produced um, in, in the European Union um, or the UK, those medicines will turn up with Braille labels on them and they are really important. But unfortunately, um, we haven't yet managed to achieve that in New Zealand and Australia on all packaging. Um, however, there are some really interesting things. One point I'd make about so-called developing countries is that because of the costs of everything, developing countries are required to be innovative, creative, imaginative, to get around this, that or the other problem. And they sometimes are able to jump over hoops that we've had to battle our way through over, over many years. Um, and my favorite example is Mongolia. Um, Mongolia has braille ballot papers um, and we, New Zealand doesn't have any braille ballot papers. We have only had in our national uh, general elections secret voting since 2014. Prior to that, um, you, we've actually had since 1975 the ability to um, uh, get some help uh, to cast your ballot at, at the polling booth and you have been able to take a person of your own choice into the polling booth since 1975. Prior to that, you, you had to have assistance from the polling clerk. So we've actually only had um, uh, secret voting, telephone voting since 2014. But in countries where telephones may not be that common, you can actually find Braille is more common than the telephone. And that's how Mongolia got their ballot papers as recently as 2016. Um, there was an article that we published in East Wind about that detail. Um, and another example of, of that that's not so much Braille related, but Hong Kong has many, many high uh, multi-storied and very tall multi-storied buildings. And inside those multi-storied buildings, there's been a lot of work that's gone on um, uh, to, to develop electronic navigation systems so that you can find your way, not just to the right floor, but to the right part of the floor in the right apartment. 
and there was even a, a paper presented at CSUN about that. So always keep an eye out on what's happening in developing countries. Um, there is a screen reader for the Burmese language in Myanmar um, that was funded through um, the United States and the International Council for the Education of the Vision Impaired. Um, we don't have a screen reader voice for te reo Māori in New Zealand. So always watch out for what's happening in developing countries. It's totally fascinating, um, the innovation that can occur. Um, yeah, that's the end of my... Um, and a couple more questions, Mary. Can you elaborate on the braille signage in the uh, subway or metro, whatever you call it, or tube, I don't know how you call um, it in Australia, yeah. and also the ATMs as well, and also the um, New Zealand and the uh, Asian Pacific region as well. Extremely variable. Um, there is braille signage routinely going in now for any developments that have occurred uh, since really 2013. Um, in New Zealand, uh, that's when Braille got into the building code. Um, so if it's been built since then, then there's a reasonable chance there'll be labels on toilet doors and uh, other places. Um, and I would anticipate New Zealand Aucklanders getting a massive new city rail link under the uh, underground which will be open in a couple of years' time, and I would expect to find a lot of Braille labels there. But it's extremely variable. Australia, I think, is ahead of us in that regard. Um, now, I haven't travelled enough in the Asia-Pacific uh, region, the larger region, to actually comment about signage, but um, I'm... Ah, yes, Japan. There's a surprising amount of Braille signage in Japan. Um, I'm not sure about other areas in in um, in the Asia Pacific. And ATMs, um, they tend not to have Braille labels on the ones that I've seen, um, and they unfortunately aren't. Don't all talk. They're, the banks have been quite variable. Um, about uh, developing um, uh, talking ATMs. The other thing that's happened in New Zealand is that we're not yet completely cashless, but we're moving more and more away from cash. Um, cash, the biggest users of cash are tourists. Um, so um, the unfortunately talking ATMs are not as common in New Zealand as, as we might like. And um, they're probably more common in Australia than in New Zealand. Okay. Thank you so much. Now, um, I think we covered everybody on the uh, No, we, we have, oh. uh, I believe, Christo. Christo. Okay. Sorry about that. Okay. Christo. Uh, elaborate on that. Thank you. On just before sign. I mm -hmm. get to the signage, I just want to mention two other aspects that I could have mentioned in the previous topic about braille displays and braillers, uh, we are distributing, importing and distributing the Tatra point brailler from, from Slovakia that we are now distributing to schools because it costs just a little over half the price of a Perkins and it's lighter to carry and so on. Um, 
at the time when I, I spoke at the um, event of the Braillists, I mentioned that we have been importing uh, the Tatra point for about five years and only one had come in for repair. That is still the case. We've, uh, we haven't had any more than one coming for repair, so we're getting very good performance out of them. Braille displays also mainly on account of cost. We are importing the, the Braille meat from India and distributing that, and that is going quite well. Then if I can come to um, signage, I think we must be lacking behind every other country in the world. We have almost nothing. Um, we have numbers on lift buttons, and that seems to appease the social conscience. There's hardly anything apart from that. Um, I've seen one medication item with, with Braille on it. Um, otherwise, nothing uh, anywhere. Um, we do have uh, secret voting. We use a what we call a universal ballot template. Um, it's a template into which you put your ballot paper. You've got the row of openings on the right-hand side that coincide with the, the boxes on the print paper where you draw your, your sign, your cross. And next to, next to each opening is a Braille number and a, a raised print number and, and large, in large print so that blind people can use them. So you just have to find out before the time the, the number that the candidate or, or the party will have uh, so that you can then uh, vote in, in, in secret. Um, ATMs, nothing. we don't have any talking ATMs. We don't have Braille on ATMs. They, they have some, some tactile shapes on some of the buttons, but that's, that's about it. I, I'm sitting here very envious about what I've heard in other countries. We are way behind. Wow. Um, what about, well, I don't know if you guys in South Africa or in your region are, are developed enough to have any subways at all or the ATMs as far as Braille um, or the subways as far as that's concerned. Uh, nothing in stations. We, we don't have... Uh, we don't have metro or, or oh, okay. um, jobs, um, but at our train stations or airports, there's, there's nothing at all. No. Okay, thank you. Okay, and um, now we are going to turn to the future of Braille. And um, uh, Matthew, let me start with you. What do you see happening in regards to Braille in your country or region over the next 10 years? Where to start? Um, <laughs> it's really interesting what's happened to Braille. Um, I haven't talked about UEB yet. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm going to start talking about UEB now. Okay. Um, when UEB came in, lots and lots of people said, okay, this will be the death of Braille. You know, this is terrible. Why are we doing this? No one's going to want to read this new code. It's terrible. You know, everything happened uh, like that. And Actually, we've bucked the trend. Uh, Braille usage is up very significantly, actually. The interest in Braille 
is up significantly. There's a lot of very good feeling about Braille at the moment. You know, lots of people are coming, particularly to the Brailleists, uh, and saying, look, you know, we want to learn Braille, we want to use Braille, we want to pick Braille back up again, we want to uh, improve our Braille skills, we want to include Braille on our products. You know, Braille's got a really, really good future in the UK. Whether UEB's got anything to do with that, I'm not sure. But, I mean, it, it certainly started the debate, you know, and got people talking about it. And uh, I think the pandemic helped because people had a lot of time on their hands and they wanted to learn a new skill, and Braille was the skill that they chose. So um, what's going to happen to Braille? I don't really know. Um, we're quite excited about the tactile graphics uh, technology that's coming out of CSUN and conferences like that. So the, the, the DOT technology and the, the Humanware and APH project, um, multi-line Braille displays um, from Bristol Braille. There's another company called Page that are making a multi-line Braille display at the moment. Um, so we're very excited about Braille technology. We're very excited about um, ways in which we can distribute Braille electronically, um, mainstream access to to Braille, you know, through things like Braille displays and Kindles and things like that. Um, and just generally just building the profile of Braille. I think in 10 years, if the trajectory goes the way it's going at the moment, um, we really are starting to get a lot of interest in Braille from local societies for the blind that weren't interested in Braille before. Um, you know, we, we ran a Braille for Beginners course in January. We attracted a 100 and something registrants to that course. Um which is phenomenal because two or three years ago we were being told, well, we would run a Braille course, but there's no interest. So clearly there is interest. If we keep on demonstrating that there is interest, I think there'll be a lot more Braille in local societies. I think there'll be a lot more, not necessarily older people learning Braille, but people learning Braille in adulthood, certainly, uh, particularly people who lost their sight while they're of working age. Uh, we'll see a lot more of that. Um, Braille in education, I'm less confident about, but if Braille in the real world, so to speak, uh, carries on on the trajectory, then eventually education will catch up, and won't that be wonderful? Yes, it would. <laughs> um, okay. And also, um, Mary, uh, what about your take on, on the future of Braille? Um, I like, um, for slightly different reasons, I'm as positive as Matthew is. I actually think that Braille is indeed having a resurgence and and there is a number of different things. Uh, the UK was really smart at getting um, orbit readers, and it wouldn't have mattered what it was, electronic Braille displays um, out into the community for their library. And in fairness, Braille has the Braille library in the UK, you've had much bigger numbers, and your library has has worked really well for you since the beginning of time, since the beginning of Braille, really. Um, and you've been able to build on that. But the other thing that's happened is, is, is Mr. Zoom. Um, there have been way more opportunities for blind people to communicate with each other, to learn from each other. Um, in the last two years, ICEB has done more work than in the previous 20 years. Um, Zoom has had a great deal to do with that. People know each other more now than, than we did. We're able to learn from each other and, 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 and re respect and admire what uh, countries are doing 
in the face of some really huge obstacles that countries are having to get around. We have talked about the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, but there's also there's, there's also uh, the Marrakesh Treaty, of course, and um, just recently okay, China acceded oh, yeah. mm -hmm. to the Marrakesh Treaty. Um, so um, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really positive about it. Just remember that Braille is the only equivalence to print that we have, and it will continue to be taught to children, um, and I, I'm, I'm very positive about that. That's great. Thank you so much, Mary. Very interesting. Um, and Christo, can you give us your take on the future of Braille as well? We constantly have to, to combat the onslaught against Braille by uninformed academics who suggest that Braille has become redundant because of technology. Uh, the interesting point is technology, especially these uh, lower-cost Braille displays, um, are, are causing many more people to, to read Braille because more people can afford them. So, um, you know, but we, we have to combat that all the time. Even at our Department of Education, they thought that giving the learners a, an electronic device and, uh, with electronic books that would solve the problem, there again, we had to litigate against them, and we got a court order in 2019 compelling all schools to, to have uh, hard copy Braille books for, for learners. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's been a battle, but um, I, I also am positive, and it looks like there's a, a, a good future for Braille here, and that we are are uh, uh, combating successfully against the skeptics. Thank you. Um, okay, and let me ask uh, Maria to read um, Mr. Cole's response, please. Yep. So he says, uh, we are of the opinion that no device whatsoever can replace Braille. It is because in our country, there are millions of motor cars running on the roads, but at the same time, bull carts are used in all the country for carrying grains and other material. Our blind persons are located in villages and small towns which do not have computer and other technological devices. And therefore, we strongly feel that Braille shall remain in India for a long time. Under the Make in India program, one company in Gujarat state has started producing Orbit Reader 20, and we have been trying our best to make this device available to blind persons on subsidized rates, but till date, we could not sell more than 150 units in the last two years. This shows that due to poverty, the majority of blind persons cannot purchase note takers and other such devices through which we can have access to paperless Braille. Um, and I'll just add a couple. He sent a couple of additional points, which I will um, include here. He says, I would like to add here that hardly three to four percent of publications available in print are in Braille. Braille paper is very expensive. And as such, whenever we want to persuade some donor to sponsor a book or two he she thinks it is very costly affair and tries to ignore it however we have about four years back succeeded in persuading 
National Book Trust of India, a government-run publishing house, to make at least some percentage of their publications available for blind readers. They've been doing so for the last four years, and we are also trying our best to subsidize Braille production costs as far as possible. Another thing which I wish to submit is that though Braille printing uh, processes are available in the country, but no maintenance program has been put in place by the government. As a result, we have to spend lots of money each year on the maintenance of Braille machines. And there's also a Braille Council of India, but that too has one meeting in a year and does no tangible work. And he closes with yours sincerely, J.L. Call, uh, Secretary General of uh, the All India Confederation of the Blind. So back to you, Meryl. Thank you. Um, okay, and I think, oh, Sarah. Sarah. I, yeah, we uh, need to ask Sarah for your uh, in t- uh, input also. On okay. Um, before, just a little comment about the previous question. Uh, Mr. Crystal talk, uh, talked about voting system. I just uh, could uh, want to mention that here in Brazil we have electronic boxes for, for voting. So there are machines where you type the number of your candidate and there's Braille on them. And that's very accessible. And for about ATMs, we have no Braille, but we have a six system of sound accessibility um, that allow us to use the numbers of the ATM with uh, headphones. Um, well, about in the case of Latin America in the future, if we don't move, nothing's going to change. So we, we can't just wait that governments and um, international organizations uh, like um, they, they act by themselves. So we as organizations of blind people, as organizations of human rights, as people um, individually has to keep on advocating. Latin American has a very great history of international cooperation. Uh, that's it was thanks to international cooperation that we got most of our devices, most of our um, braille presses. So, for example, we have an regional organ called CERLOC, that's the center, the regional center for Latin America and Caribbean for development of reading. And instead, um, in spite of it, we can see that braille reading has uh, and production has decreased because of all the factors I ever um, I ever mentioned. So uh, we need changes from governments, like as I said, to create public policies to really uh, in- effectively incorporate the CRPD and the internal laws, so that uh, people have access to braille. I, I agree with the colleagues when they say when they say the technology, like technology helps braille. It doesn't bury the braille system, but it can it can help to to stimulate and to distribute it better for people. Remember what it was said about India. We need to think of people who don't have access to technology, but we need to lower the cost of the, the devices. Um, I agree that future Braille is um, um, a very um, interesting and and optimistic uh, scenario if we can take, if we can enjoy this, if we can enjoy technology, if we can take 
the 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 more um, how can I say the the best part of it. And with technology, we can make people to read Braille again and to show people how Braille is important for their lives and to improve literacy and to improve access to music, to arts and to motion and to culture and to information and to abilities that Braille brings, uh, um, cognitive abilities Braille brings and not help uh, letting people also like slave of um, sound system that is really, really important, but they have to go together. And ULAC uh, specifically is restructuring restructuring its co- Braille Committee, Latin American Braille com- Committee. That's a technical organ of ULAC to support teaching, use, dissemination, etc., of, of Braille system. And, and it will be uh, one more tool of advocating and building proposals. And these proposals can go to the governments or to our local affiliated to, to like to build, to, to, to draw proposals for implementing this, pol- uh, this public policies, these strategies, to distribute and produce and and give uh, provide access uh, to technology to people to the countries to the presses to the libraries and to people and that's why i i i said that we have to work together to change this reality and make braille like grow up again and arrive to everybody thank you so much um Okay, and before we get to the last question, I'd like to know if the audience has any questions as well. And so, please let us know if there's any raised hand and and the commands for if and give the commands for raising hands as well. And, yep. Um, so if you'd like to raise, and we'll probably only be able to take a question one or maybe two maximum because of the time. But if you'd like to raise your hand, you can use Alt Y on PC Command Shift. Uh, excuse me, Alt Y on PC Option Y on Mac. More and then raise the hand on your mobile device or star nine if you're dialing in on the phone. So we're going to uh, recognize Paul first. Go ahead, Paul. You should be able to speak. Okay, um, Paul, we're not hearing you. So. I'm good. I think. Oh, there you are. <laughs> okay. Um, and and I'm not. I didn't really look carefully at the at the last question, so I don't know if that concerns Marrakesh. But what I wanted to ask folks to do was to comment on uh, what the effect of Marrakesh has been in each of their regions. <coughs> All right. If any um, one would like to. Uh, I guess we can just go in the order. I'm just randomly picking this. Um, do we want to marry if we want to start with you? Uh, yes, New Zealand, Australia. In fact, I'm not sure of the correct number of countries, but a surprising number of countries across the region um, have um, acceded, um, ratified, adopted Marrakesh. And that actually is making it easier for exchange. And, and somebody in the chat asked about whether you can um, borrow books from New Zealand through interlibrary loan. Um, actually, you've always been able to do that. 
And so um, Marrakesh hasn't just made it more possible. One of the difficulties has been to make sure that um, the library that you're requesting through um, has access to the catalogue. Um, but um, um, Marrakesh Treaty is making a major difference. All right, very good. Uh, let's move, uh, Sarah, let's move to you next. Uh, if I understood uh, correctly the questions, the question, um, Latin America has 19 countries and 18 has ratified Marrakech Treaty. It was very a very fast process in Latin America. And the only one who didn't ratify was Cuba yet. All right, very interesting. Um, okay, and uh, next, why don't we go to uh, Christo? To my great frustration, our country has not yet acceded to Marrakesh. That is part of our court case that comes up on the 12th of May, and we hope that we will force government to do so soon. Okay. Um, good luck with that. All right. And last but not least, we'll go to Matthew. Hello. Um, I actually can't speak professionally to this question. Uh, the Brailist doesn't have an awful lot to do with legislation as such. And um, Torch, we're not really um, engaged with it. I know that the UK has ratified Marrakesh, um, but all I can really talk to it as it is as a Braille reader. And I think um, <clears throat> when we ratified Marrakesh there was a lot of talk about it and it was one of these you know this this will open up doors to getting lots of books from overseas and it's going to be wonderful and I think I was expecting this avalanche of content to start to come in and I must admit I haven't seen it we haven't seen a night and day change in the UK where all of a sudden we get loads more books coming in it's a much more uh, gradual, much more of a step change as far as I'm concerned. Uh, as, as a reader, this is not as a, as a professional. This is just personal sort of perspective. But um, things are starting to happen. We're starting, for example, within RNIB reading services to see titles from US Bookshare, and they're starting to appear... But it's kind of a soft launch. You know, there wasn't this big announcement that said, look, we've got Marrakesh and now all of a sudden you can access US titles on reading services. They just sort of appeared. And if you noticed them, then brilliant. And if you didn't notice them, well, then you didn't notice them. And um, half the time you see it and you, and you think it's an RNIB title and it's only when you download it that you realise it's not. Mm -hmm. yeah, all I, right. I, I, I would just comment as, as I once was librarian, um, the whole issue of catalogues and marketing has changed, is changing completely, and libraries are going to have to get quite a lot cleverer about how to manage the fact that instead of having titles in the thousands in your collection, you've now got titles close to the millions. And so that is actually more of a challenge for the library profession than Marrakesh. All right. Thank you for that to all of you. Let's see if the time is ticking, but let's see if we can dawn, if we can get your question in very quickly. Go ahead. Okay. Hold on. Yeah. Okay. You're um, unmuted. Go oh, okay. Um, so I have a question about, um, so I have, um, I have learned UEB code and um, I'm hoping to go to college at some point. Um, the thing is, um, the way that the code is here 
for math standards is some states have adopted it, some states have staying on Nemeth and some are going or splitting the adoption of UAB math into counties. Uh, do you think that this will change to universal uh, UEB adopted uh, to universal UEB math adoption? And also, is there a tutorial, is there a place that I can go to learn UEB math? I've tried the APH oh. tutorial and it just, it, it is, it does not work. I only use an iPad. Oh. So all right. All right. Thank you, Dawn. Um, if anyone quickly, any of our panelists, I'll just open it up if you want to mention about whether uh, the UEB math is also used uh, in your countries or regions. And um, if you know of any quick resources for learning Braille, um, perhaps that's something that can be shared and I can share the uh, links when I provide some of the other links that were shared with this event. So um, let's go ahead. Uh, let's go with uh, Sarah first. If you have any thoughts on UEB, is, is the UEB math used in Latin America? Mm, no, it's not because we we don't have English as native language in Latin America, just in Caribbean. And mm. I don't know about Caribbean. I don't know how they use the system. As I said, we speak Portuguese and, and Spanish. So we read and write learn these languages. And we use uncontracted Braille for Portuguese and Spanish. So I have no knowledge. I think I'm the only panelist here who doesn't speak native uh, English natively. So I can't help. <laughs> all right. No worries at all. All right. Um, we'll go to uh, let's Mary. We'll go to you next in terms of UEB math. Is that what is used? UEB maths is used in New Zealand and Australia. Okay. Um, and... UEB does come with its own maths code and there's some um, uh, serious work going on through ICEB to upgrade UEB maths. There uh, are teaching materials for that and uh, the teaching materials available in the States, it's best uh, to leave that to people like Judy and others to advise about that. All right, very good. Uh, let's see, Krista, we'll go to you next. Yes, we use only UEB math and we also have a training course to, to teach it. All right, very good. And Matthew? Yeah, this is something that the Brailist is actually very interested in. We'd quite like to run a UEB maths course at some point. Uh, we just are finalising the copyright on it. Um, so watch this space. Yes, we use UEB maths exclusively in the UK now. Uh, we developed a course as in the UK Association for Accessible Formats in coordination with RNIB, developed a transition course for... Um, people who knew British maths to convert to UEB. And it's the it's that that we're using as the basis for the Brailists course that we're hoping to run at some point in the next sort of 12 months or so. Um, there is UEB online from the Renwick Centre out in Australia. Um, <clears throat> it has its pros and its cons, but it does have a very comprehensive mathematics component. So it would be well worth looking at UEB online, at least as a starting point in the meantime, as a self-service option. All right. Very good. Well, on that note, as the time is just slipping away, as you could tell, we could go on for a longer period of time, uh, but we will have to end that here. So I would like to very much 
thank all of you uh, for such an uh, enlightening conversation. I know I have uh, learned a lot and I've, I've gained some perspective and I know that our uh, participants as well, I'm sure have uh, as well. And I'd like to um, again and thank uh, the uh, Braille Revival League as well for uh, co-sponsoring this with us. And uh, as I mentioned, this is recorded. So do look out for that both in the ACB community podcast and also once that is as a podcast if you go to acb.org slash committees that is plural and then go to international relations committee uh, we will have a link to this event on our uh, site and I will uh, also put together a brief document uh, containing some of these links that were shared and I can put that as well uh, as a, a braille resources type link to accompany this event. So with that, thank you to everyone so much for joining us and we hope you have a great uh, evening, rest of your day, whatever it happens uh, to be in your part of the uh, part of the world. So thank you so much. And uh, with that, we will end our call for, for uh, today.